Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. All right, everybody. I am Nick Slavic. I'm the proprietor of the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. I'm also the host of this shot, this show, Ask a Painter Live. It is a weekly live Facebook show where I use my 30 years of experience, uh, starting off from a very young kid, 10 years old in the industry, um, to basically just kind of portray what it's like to be a master crafts person, a paint business entrepreneur, uh, moose painting. How's it going, man? Uh, we got to hang out this last week here. Uh, Seattle Paint Company on Instagram. So we are on TikTok. We are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. If you guys want to see some awesome screen shares today, you're going to want to catch uh, the live video feed on Facebook. I have um, multi-year graphs of how leads come in by the week for many years that I'm going to be sharing to try to track some uh, industry trends, economic trends. We're going to be looking at uh, some major economic trends today. So people love to toss around the words inflation, recession, uh, consumer confidence, things like that. And I am not really one of those people who will use that as an excuse, but it doesn't mean I ignore it. So things that we're going to talk about today, um, recession, what is it? Are we in it? Who cares? Is it going to break us? Yes or no? Inflation, uh, labor, uh, um, marketing projects and leads, which are kind of the big things that I keep on my radar. We're going to talk about consumer confidence as well, because that's the one thing I don't hear anybody talking about. But really, it's probably the thing that I focus on the most, even above recession, inflation, all that other good stuff. Now, I was actually just on a East Coast tour, and we're going to get to all this economic indicator sort of stuff. My big ask to you guys is uh, I want to share. I want you to share some economic indicators with me during this show. During the first quarter of the year, January, February, March, was it soft? Was it good? Was it ripping? Was there lots of leads? Was there more leads than normal? Was business good? Was the calendar full? Did something change? Did it cost more to acquire leads? Is it harder to find people? Give me some indicators from your neck of the woods, and then we'll kind of compare them across here to see what's going on. Um, I will say this. We talk about all these other potential factors, potential factors that may affect our businesses. I will tell you this, though. We can talk about them. We can do all this. I honestly think, though, that uh, what Jason Paris said years ago is still true in our market, which is our only limitation is our ability to execute our business plan. And for right now, we can talk about recession and labor and projects and marketing and inflation and all that stuff. But honestly, I think we're only limited by ourselves. So just remember that through the entire conversation. Um, this last week, Florida, Boston, Rhode Island. Good friend Tanner Mullen here. Uh, I went down to Florida to kick off the gathering of Florida painters, which was awesome. Tanner, servant leader, drip jobs, painting contractors, Facebook group, amazing guy. Uh, he is the leader of that group. Hopefully there'll be some more Florida groups because Florida is so geographically spaced out like that. Um, but went down there, had a great time. Benjamin Moore, thanks for renting out Top Golf, paying for lunch, getting us a space, things like that. It was absolutely amazing. We thank you. Regal Paint, they own 21 stores. They employ 100 people. The owner of Regal Paint actually hung out with us all day and to hear him talk, inspirational guy. And I love that there's leaders like that in our industry. So that's an amazing thing. Right now, there's probably somewhere between 20 and 25 gathering groups that have popped up over the last bunch of years. If you would like to get together in your neck of the woods with people uh, from the internet, 
we start up gathering groups everywhere. It started off with the gathering of Minnesota painters or GOP uh, about four or five years ago. And we were the OG group. Me and Jason Paris started that one. And now we have about 310, 320 members. We can get 30 to 50 people together four times a year. And it's kind of spread 18 to 25 groups across the U.S. We have a young entrepreneurs group. We have a women's group. We have a Spanish speaking group. And then geographically, we're kind of all over the place here. So um, one thing I will tell you guys is that there used to be PCA, Painting Contractors Association, chapters and councils. And there used to be a sergeant at arm, the reading of the minutes and the dues and everything else. And they're kind of dying out. Um, uh, it was a very post-World War II-esque kind of style of groups. We started the gathering groups so that the main hub is a Facebook page. You, It's hyper local. You invite people from your area, a few hundred people, give or take. You start to chatter. You start to build camaraderie. And then you get together. And it's mainly to put the sword and shield down. We are all friends. We're all in this together. And we literally all do better when we all do better. So that is the ethos. The PCA, it's not an official thing where the PCA owns or anything else. But the PCA is a huge supporter of these groups. There's two people. Um, Brandon Pierpont and Bradley Ellison, who are there as a resource for you guys. If you raise your hand in your area, um, they will actually help you start up a group like that. We actually have a resource on the PCA's website, free, a startup thing. Um, it's exactly lessons learned from me and Jason for doing this for four or five years on how to start this. And it's great. There's no money involved and things like that. Underwriters pay for a, a space and a meal. 30 to 50 people get together, camaraderie, sharing best practices, and it's awesome. So more on that there. Also, uh, I will be in Indianapolis, Indianapolis, uh, June 2nd for some master's classes. And that is for a Sherwin-Williams Pro Show. So if you want to be there with me, contact your local Sherwin-Williams rep and we'll get after it there. Um, also, PCA Business Accelerator. Um, Jason Paris and I and a, and a host of other people, we created what we think is the thing that actually will add the most value to our industry, which is we are great painters. We are great craftspeople, but we need to be better business owners. So we created uh, three kinds or types of training for us that are really good painters like myself that had to learn to be business owners. And it's called Business Foundations, Business Accelerator and Business Legacy. If you're a single person company under half a million bucks, there is an actual training course, boot camp, learning management system, online course with other people to hold you accountable. That's all in there. Uh, there is Accelerator. So if you're kind of that half a million to a million bucks and you really want to kick it down and be a professional business, that'll get you there. And then there's Legacy, which is what happens when you want to do an ESOP, sell it to your employees, when you want to sell your company, when you want to hand it off to the next generation, what happens in that transition? So that's going to be the big um, thing as well, too. So enough of this already. Let's start, let's start with some um, economic indicators. And again, like I said, I want to hear from you guys. What kind of economic indicators are you guys seeing? Is it harder to find labor? Is it harder to find jobs? How was the first quarter of the year? Was it easier to find work? Was it harder? Are you behind in revenue? Are you ahead in revenue? Give me some things there. What are you noticing, right? All right, so number one, recession. Let's talk about recession. And I'm gonna share some awesome graphs with you guys as well too. Because we have to overlay data and feelings. Uh, the purpose of this show is to just, let's talk about these upfront things where Business is hard. And then we start hearing about recession and inflation. And sometimes as business owners, and I'm going to push back a little bit, we can glom onto this and say, well, the reason I can't grow my business or the reason I can't get work or stabilize is because of all these other economic things. And I will tell you in the residential industry right now at this period of time, it's uh, 
it's likely that that is an excuse, right? The thing that's probably holding you back more than any of those macroeconomic indicators is your ability to execute your business plan. And so that's why it's so important that we talk about these things, but then we actually get realistic with data and feelings about does this actually affect us at all? And honestly, when I look at my business, politics, elections, macroeconomics, honestly, don't affect me that much. It doesn't actually affect me that much. So, all right, uh, recession. When you look at all the economic indicators, um, I am not an economist. I am not trained in any of this stuff. But when you take a peruse through news and, and sites, what's uh, a magazine like Forbes, a uh, big financial magazine, what they'll do is look at a whole bunch of other indicators, uh, other indicators that conglomerate other stuff. And basically, when they took a, a look at like 15 different things of uh you know, is consumer price index, consumer confidence, the interest rates, the long-term bonds and things like that. And they rate them on a scale of, you know, good, neutral, bad. And then they take about 15 of those and put them together. And they say, well, of all these indicators, are they trending? Are they trending good? Are they turning neutral or bad? And they actually say, well, you know what? It's, it's not a super positive outlook, but they're predicting that it's going to be neutral or flat and maybe not bad, which is kind of an unsatisfying thing, which is, you know, we can really, it's almost more satisfying to see an extreme high or extreme low. But when we waffle around in that middle ground, that's sort of like everything just stays flat and neutral. It gets boring. It gets weird. There's not a really like you can make a um, argument that it's high or low or this and that. But really, when they look at an aggregate of economic indicators, they kind of say like, listen, we're probably not going to go into the Great Recession or uh, or even a, a big recession. But it's probably just a series of kind of like, you know, a flat stuff coming up. Inflation. Inflation is another interesting thing. All we do is hear about inflation. Um, right now, inflation is higher. Now, the, the economic trends, one, two, three, four. I got four years here um, uh, based on uh, historical data from the government, which is 2020, it was 1.4% inflation. 2021 jumped to 7%. That's a big one. We felt that, right, in the cost of goods. 2022 decreased down to about 6.5%. And they're predicting we're running about 5% in 2023. But again, that number could probably plus or minus one or two points by the end of the year because we're only in the quarter two of this year. So the general trend is three years ago, four years ago, it was low, it spiked, and we're gradually bringing it down like this. So inflation, especially at that level, is yes, goods cost more, labor costs more, everything costs more. But really, we're talking about a few points here or there, a few percentage here or there. It really shouldn't be the thing that changes your business uh, too crazy like this. So again, we're talking about economic indicators today. If you guys want to uh, share any economic indicator indicators like was there more or less revenue year over year in quarter one? Is uh, is it does it cost more to get jobs? Is your average job size up or down? Is there a trend in the type of work? Uh, things like that. And then I'm going to talk about some very uh, pointed things from my business and again share some graphs with you guys. So labor, labor is really interesting because nationally, uh, when we say that there's no good people out there, right? I just did two days of master's classes where we talked about the thesis of there's no good people, and I can prove it with data that. Um, yeah, uh, that with data, it's really not that, right? Like statistically, there are more humans on this earth every day. Um, there's lots of people looking for work, things like that. Uh, spray life, material cost up 60%, yes. So what's interesting is that for the first time ever this last year, we watched over the course of maybe three price increases, the cost of materials in my company as a percentage of revenue, go from about 13% to 18%. That's about a 5% jump or 
about a 40% jump in material costs, 40 to 50% cost in materials. What we did, we caught it at the end of the year in December. We did a very hard line negotiation with our vendors. We also offered them something in return. And then we also got super economical about um, doing two paint orders for every job instead of one. Now we've kind of always been doing that, but now we're really closely guarding that stuff because materials have gone up uh, from a long time there. And uh, uh, Bogia to my friend down in Brazil there, Pinturas, love watching you guys and thanks for watching today. So yeah, we have seen material prices increase, but now when you say there's a 60% material price increase, people sometimes forget that that's a 60% increase on what should be 15% of your revenue. So you don't have to raise your prices 60% to make up for a 60% material increase. You have to raise, if your materials go up 60%, materials should be more than about 15% of your revenue, give or take for a larger business. So really what you're going to have to do is raise your uh, uh, material price up uh, the 60% of 15%. So it's not as crazy as raising, raising your rates 60%, give or take. And that's what we did. We approached it incrementally like this. And sometimes we can actually focus too much on the price of our jobs because that's a thing that we can touch and we can feel and everything else. And so um, what we have to do is also understand that you can solve problems in your business macro in one of three ways, with time, with money, or a combination of both. And we did a combination of both. It's never is typically easy as just raising prices. But I will tell you this, we've had two intentional price increases in the last 12 months in my business. One to combat um, the material price increase and that brought it back down again, along with negotiations and being frugal and things like that. Um, we also did another intentional price increase because we wanted to make sure we did not let this silent inflation catch up over years and years and years. If we were to charge 500 bucks for a bedroom repaint for three years in a row, Yes, inflation would affect that. If if inflation, you know, right now is five to seven percent, some in there, that five hundred dollars would become seven percent less valuable every year if we don't raise that price. So uh, the common thinking is sort of like, you know, raise. You should be raising your prices every year to at least keep up with inflation. But then, if you can find some more market value, uh, raise those up as well too. Here, so spray life. I hit eighteen percent and down to fifteen now with being creative. Yes, that is the way, and it's it's awesome to track that stuff, and it's actually fun to solve a problem like that. So. Right now, labor unemployment for the U.S. is about 3.5%. Um, uh, it's at a 50-year low, 50-year low, right? So the last time we saw this was then in the 70s, give or take. Um, there's 161 million people, give or take, in the labor market. There's 5.8 million people unemployed looking for work. But uh, one thing you'll hear about, too, um, is sort of the uh, a time since 2020 where people are employed, but they're kind of still looking for work, right? Because there was a big shakeup in the market like that. And uh, so the the unemployment number, yes, 50-year low, which is not great for us looking to hire people. There's less people out there looking for a job, but we also have to consider the only, it's not only the people who are unemployed out of work that we can have employed with us. You think about how many people you have in your company that had a job and came to you from that job, right? So that's not an indicator of, of that sort of thing. Now in my hyper area, a hyper local area, it's 2% or less, right? Which is insanely low. It could be a 75 year low in my area. So paint life 607, what's your best hiring plan in your opinion? Um, putting time and money intentionally, consistently for the rest of time. That is my best hiring plan, which is it doesn't matter if you're on Indeed, Facebook, Craigslist, Monster, anything else. As long as you have a plan, you track it, and you put time and money constantly towards it, you get a result. 
over the last two days, I was in Boston and Rhode Island, and we actually showed you, I pulled up my Google calendar and said four times a year, I spend about 50 to 70 hours finding two to four people for my company four times a year. And we do it every single time, right? And it's because we intentionally do this. It doesn't really matter what you do at this point in our industry is that you intentionally do it. If you need people to work for you and you put out a free Craigslist ad that says must lift 50 pounds, must have driver's license, must have own tools, must have experience, pay based on experience, inquire here and nobody applies for your business. Guess what? That's a completely uninspiring ad and you're never going to get anybody working for your business. So again, people, people hyper focus on, do we do indeed? Do we do Instagram to find the people? And I will say, who cares? Get an inspiring ad and actually get a value proposition. I will tell you this professional painting businesses, professional businesses don't really have that problem finding labor. We do not have a problem finding labor. We can find people to work with us because we have an employee resource guide. We have a pay scale. We have a review process. We have a job description. We have onboarding. We have training. We are a real business. We are a real business that can, when an employee comes to us, there's health insurance, there's retirement, there's a four day work week, there's PTO, there's this system around them that feels like a real business. And it's just a great thing like that. So uh, da, 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 da. referrals are the best source. Yes, but you're going to run our referrals sooner or later for hiring. Uh, da, 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 da. Thank you for that. Okay. How's it going, everybody? Josh, the paint got on, on TikTok. How you doing, man? Okay, uh, we got some uh, Facebook questions and we'll dive back into economic indicators. Gustavo, I'm more worried about global de-dollarization than recession. Uh, Gustavo, I respect that opinion, but I'm not even that interested in state economics and politics, let alone U.S. economics and politics, let alone global stuff like that. So right now, if you work more hours, you're more intentional and you professionalize your business, you'll be able to move your own economic condition way more than especially global stuff like that. So I know we probably both agree on that, but uh, it is fun to watch. But I've told myself to always pay attention to stuff, intake that stuff, but don't ever use local, state, federal, or even global stuff like that be an excuse for why we're not doing what we want to in our business. So uh, da, 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 da. Scott McDowell. Hey, Nick, I have a few things I'd like to invest in for my business, such as a newer vehicle, more equipment systems. However, my apprehension is the projected economic conditions, worsening and seasonality. Should I focus on tightening productivity, efficiency and the bottom line, or should I invest more in aggressive marketing over the next one to two years? So Scott, I will tell you this one thing here. Um, do all that, but don't do it because of those economic conditions. If you have a business plan, what is your plan this year to grow? How many people do you need? How many jobs do you need? How many leads do you need? How many estimates do you need? Then that, that will determine how many vehicles, equipment, and everything else you need. What is your 2024 plan? That should be more of an indicator of what you do than that. Um, I will say right now that, um, see, it's different with business because you can say, well, if I'm an employee in a different company, my pay and, and opportunities are probably going to be pretty flat, right? Give or take. There'll be opportunities, there'll be pay raises, but that's really, you're not going to double, triple, quadruple that in a year, typically as an employee. In a business, it's different, right? Yes, there's a higher percentage rate on a home or a vehicle or something like that, but we have the ability to multiply our income and take home every year in a big way. So I will say it's way more important, Scott, to have a plan and let those things be determined by your plan. Now, I will tell you this, twice now, I have started a business in 2007, which was a horrible economic time, right? Um, variable rate mortgages, high unemployment, 
jobs were not around. There was craziness all over the place. And guess what? I grew and, and my business flourished. I did not pay attention to any of that stuff. I just went on with my business plan. In 2020, when we got a big global sort of pandemic thing, my plan was to double that year. And guess what? I failed. But we grew 47%. So you can say, hey, you know, uh, something stopped my, you know, our business got shut down twice in 2020. I had a plan. We enacted it. And yes, we didn't double. We didn't do 100% growth. We did 47% growth in 2020. And even through all these other times, I let my business plan determine what we're going to do. And if those economic indicators affect us around the margins, yeah. Like my business line of credit has gotten seven um, percentage uh, interest rate increases uh, in the last two years, give or take. But it doesn't materially affect my business. I went from a super low rate, maybe two to three percent on a business line of credit to maybe seven, eight percent right now. That doesn't make or break my business. We pay marginally more, a rounding error every month if I use my business line of credits or things like that. So best advice to you is don't let those economic indicators determine your business plan. Let your business plan determine what you need to do, give or take. Frank. Minnesota fellow here, tiny outfit here with minimal tracking metrics, but we are seeing a rise in demand for our services. That's great. And you know what, Frank, you bring up a really good um, sort of thing, which is here's the one thing we all need to know here, which is when you think about the residential repaint market or even just the residential market, which I'm in, there is such a glut, a need for professional home services. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how professional you are. If you answer your phone and can deliver a minimally viable project, the bar is so low, you will have business. So right now, what I'm going to tell you guys is over the next 10 to 20 years, this industry will professionalize. 99% of all paint businesses in the United States are one or 1.5 people, which is not me saying they are bad, but is me telling you the odds of them being unprofessional with nothing written down are very high, right? So this industry will professionalize and pretty soon, People with a really good website, online scheduling, uh, same day estimates, uh, scheduling where you can actually get an estimate within a week or two and start within a week or two is going to be a huge competitive advantage. And the old boy system, which again, I'm not pointing fingers at other people. I was that for a very long time. I was a single owner operator. I had nothing written down. My prices were all this. I was booked out for a year and a half. And guess what? Because there's not enough of me out there, I still had work. I will tell you guys in the next 10 to 20 years, you will not have work if you do that. You need to become a real professional company, give or take. So let's go back through. Frank, I absolutely, absolutely love that comment. Um, but I don't want people to, I don't want people to be satiated and sort of delude themselves into thinking that, you know, listen, I'm not going to have any of the things that normal businesses do. I'm just going to get out there and paint and everything's going to be fine. Guess what? You're going to be okay for the next decade, maybe five years, 10 years, whatever. But after that, you're going to be the outlier and you're going to need to professionalize. It's not fair, right? Most of us are very good painters that are forced to own businesses because there's not enough professional businesses out there uh, that can employ us and pay us what we're worth. So we're forced to start our own businesses. Here's the problem, folks. If you own a business, you may not want to do all those things like job descriptions, pay scales, job costing, uh, employee resource guides, uh, things like that, goal tracking. But guess what? You're, if you're a business owner, you have to. It's just part of what's doing, what's going on. If you want stability, if you don't want that crazy emotional roller coaster, that's what you have to do. So, all right, let's go to some Instagram comments here. Absolutely love this stuff. So, do, 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 do. thank you for your feedback. Paint life, uh, refine finishing. How you doing? Spray life. 
spray life? Would you move your money to, yeah, I don't know what that word is. I don't know. I'm not big on that whole economic stuff like that. So I have a financial advisor. We do tons of mutual funds. And uh, I know that I'm playing the 50 year game, which is put stuff in. It's going to go up and down and move on. So, uh, hey, nice meeting you, uh, uh, Nick, at Framingham Pro Show. Absolutely. I really appreciate our time together. Fitch painting. Uh, love what you do for our peoples. Awesome. Thank you so much. Do, 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 do. Ah, spray life. The interest rate affects new home guys, more builders stretching. So they don't use their yeah line of credit. Yeah. In, in new home construction, this is one of those things too, where yes, new residential construction is sort of the same thing, what we do in res repaint, but it's a completely different industry. It's driven by a completely different metric. You're doing business to business versus business to consumer. And it's a, it's a rat race really, unless you get a good builder. So we've, uh, we've moved away from it over the years. Ah, Portsmouth. Happy Saturday, Nick. Bum, we couldn't make it to the Boston one this time. No worries, everybody. We'll be out and about doing other fun stuff around here, too. So, um, okay. So let's get back to, um, so labor, right? Uh, I'm, I have a theory right now. I have a theory right now that it, I love oversimplifying, right? So I have a theory that think of, um, my life as a teeter totter and, Usually I have a problem of there's not enough labor to do the work or there's not enough projects for the amount of labor we have. And my goal as the visionary and um, sort of captain of this ship is to bring that into stasis, right? So that we're never having this out of alignment where we have too many jobs or too many people. We want it right there in the middle. Now, from business owner to business owner, how many times have we had perfect stasis of a job comes in, we produce a job. A job comes in, we produce a job. Typically, we're always in some sort of um, non-stasis. Uh, and Oh, Noah Cantor. Good morning, my friend. Love Noah Cantor. If you guys don't follow him, advice from a young tradesman, get out there. So to me, I'm going to posit a theory. Uh, over the last year, I've been gathering a lot of data in my company, some which I'll show you here. And Holly, we'll get to your question here in a second on Facebook. Um I believe that we've been in a 10-year cycle of hard to find labor, pretty easy to find jobs. Sorry, I got to sneeze. <coughs> ah, excuse me. All right. So I believe we've been in a decade of harder to find labor, easier to find jobs, which means our industry is vastly underserved by home service people. So there's a huge demand. Unemployment has been very low. And especially during the pandemic, when unemployment uh, payments went high, it's been very tough. So we delude ourselves into thinking for anybody who has owned and operated and started a business in the last 10 years, you could delude yourself into thinking, well, listen, I don't have to do any marketing. It's all word of mouth. The jobs are always going to be there. I just can't find anybody, no good, decent people to do the work. I caught the tail end of an economy where it was really easy to find labor. And it was actually a little harder to find work, right? People with master's degrees were lining up for painting work because there were no good jobs out there instead of no good people, right? So I want all of you business owners. Now, listen, I've only been in business 15 years, right? I'm a baby business by all this other stuff. But most of our industry, most paint businesses go out of business every one to three years. So the on average of all the viewers here on Ask a Painter, it's likely that you guys are in your first three years of business, give or take. If that is the case, you have only known pandemic. For people who have been in business more than three years, you have only known a time where it's been a tough labor market. For people who have been in business for more than 15 years, you've seen two cycles already, right? And I just touched one and we touched the other. And now I'm positing that we may be moving into a place where it's not going to be extreme like this. Remember the economic indicators of recession, where we're probably not going to crash into another great recession. But what if it's flat? So what that means is 
jobs are a little harder to find. Labor gets easier to find, but it's still not like it's still not a slam dunk and easy and things like that. So that's just what I'm kind of positing that we're moving into in the next years where that proverbial teeter totter, instead of being hard to find labor, easy to find jobs, it'll probably creak a little more towards stasis, give or take, which means we're going to have to be good marketers and marketer, marketers for jobs, but marketers for labor as well. So Holly, I love this question. Uh, this is one of the things we talked a lot about uh, this week during master's classes. How does your company respond to, you're much more expensive than I thought it would be, or the other bids I'm getting are uh, are much more of that recently. So yeah, Holly, here's the deal. The best piece of perspective. Now, there are two ways to answer this, right? Which is there's the tactical thing, which you actually say to the client, but then there's the business owner take a step back and how are we supposed to think about this, right? So let's, I'll address both of those, which are the second one, how, what you actually say to the client is a little tricky because I haven't, you can say a lot of true things to the client that don't get a lot of traction, right? Here's how I think about the sales process. Uh, what everybody needs to know who watches this is that in home service businesses and especially painting, there's an industry benchmark of 50% success ratio. So a success ratio is the amount of estimates you do for the amount of estimates you sell. A success ratio of 50% would be I do 100 estimates and I sell 50. Uh, that is an industry benchmark, right? That is just like, how do we judge an estimator or how do we judge ourselves? I would say I'm interested in if somebody is doing 50%, that to me is an economic indicator that they're probably right there in the pocket of for the amount of jobs they need and their market, they're probably pricing their projects about right. I could also make a crazy economic argument for the sole proprietor, the single owner operator, that you should be either selling 100% or you should be selling 10%. So why do I say that? 100% is most of your work is probably word of mouth. You're probably underpricing your stuff anyway. You should be jacking up your price and you should be getting just about every job because they're almost all word of mouth. I could also make an economic argument for you only closing 10% of your work. Why? Because you don't need that much work. So honestly, you could make the argument either way where you get 100 leads in a year. You only need 10 or 20 jobs, give or take, because they're bigger projects. You maybe should be only closing 10% of your work because you don't need all that other stuff. You shouldn't be booking out 18 months in advance. Now, Holly, here's the deal. This is a tough question because I've tried it all, right? I have a whole series of stock emails that we send people to say you're more expensive and things like that. And my initial knee-jerk reaction is to lay some data on them. But whether it's my family, my wife, my employees, my clients, what they're asking for is typically not a data-based rebuttal, right? When you come with a lot of facts and figures and charts, that wasn't really what they need. Now, you may be right. You may be absolutely true. But I've seen people not respond to that very well. So here's here's how I would love. This is how I want to respond. And then I, I'll tell you how I want the client to respond. The client would say, wow, this is much more expensive. And I would say, well, listen, here's the deal. Typically, businesses in my industry go out of business every one to three years. The average paint business owner makes $43,000 a year. So they go out of business every one to three years. You're always going to find people lower than us. But there is nobody who's going to be more trustworthy, give you a better product, see it through. And guess what? In 5, 10, 15, 20 years, we're still going to be here. If you ever have an issue, we're going to be there for you. We also pay our people a very high wage. Uh, the average um, painter wage in Minnesota is $20 an hour, give or take. On average, most of my people make $25, give or take. They have health insurance. They have retirement. They have PTO. They have a four-day work week. They got a crazy support system. When you hire my company, you're not hiring just Nick. Nick doesn't do the estimate. Nick doesn't manage the project. Nick doesn't paint. You're going to find that around. That's not a good or bad thing. When you hire us to paint a bedroom, 
another painting company will put a person. You're going to meet the person who does the estimate and does that. In my company, for the same price, we're going to have an estimator, project manager, office coordinator, owner of the company, and one or two painters on your job. Same price, give or take. And lead time, that other painter is booked out 12 months. Or uh, in the upper Midwest with summer work, they don't even have time for you this summer. With us, we can start you in two to four weeks, give or take. Now, that is a great economic data-based argument, right? That is a wonderful thing. I want that to work. Turns out this other client says, yeah, but you know what? There's really no difference in painting companies and the other person is 40% less. And yes, I have to wait, but who cares? It's 40% less, right? They're willing to roll the dice on another company because there's just enough companies who are unprofessional, underpriced, but will deliver a great product, right? Think about me in year two. This is not me pushing back on the industry. Think about Nick Slavic in year two of business. I undersold everything I did. I was booked out two years in advance. I worked 100 hours a week to make up for a low price because, again, I could take that same amount of revenue and I should have been doing it in 40 hours a week. Uh, I wasn't. So I did it in 100 hours a week. So the week I still made the same amount of revenue. I just used two and a half times more labor, which mean uh, my revenue per dollar, uh, revenue per hour was two and a half times lower. I was making $17 an hour as a paint business owner because I worked 100 hours a week. And then when the client had a little question about something, I would give away a bunch of stuff for free. I would apologize because all I wanted to do is make happy people. And I was a martyr. I sacrificed myself. Now, here's the deal. Here's the thing we need to do. I was not a bad painter. You could have called me the undercutter, the lowballer, the hack, the everything else in year two. But I wasn't. I was giving a world-class product at a crazy bottom basement price, not because I was evil, but because I had no idea what I was doing. I never job costed, never tracked my own hours, things like that. Long way around to saying nine out of 10 painting companies are that in the United States. So right now, if I was a client, I would take my chances on that nine out of 10 who give you a sometimes 100% discount, 80% discount. You know, when we're out there, our average exteriors between eight and $10,000, there's guys out there doing it for 4,100 bucks. And guess what? They probably do a good job, give or take. Also, there are some crooks as well. So I will say this. There are so many people who charge so little for their services and perform so highly out there still currently. Clients are like, listen, I get it. Health insurance, all this and that, your office, your support team, your great people, your apprenticeship program. Guess what? This is a transaction to me and the other person is 60% less than you. And guess what? I'm willing to take a risk on it. So Holly, very unsatisfying answer to that. But as far as I can tell, it's true. It's absolutely true. So. All right, everybody, more questions and comments. If you like, I'm going to share some graphs with you because data plus feelings, right? All right. Uh, Josh, the paint God, you're an inspiration. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Uh, Josh, uh, you said you would uh, uh, wish you could get like me. Well, here's the deal, man. Uh, if you email me, nick at nickslavic.com uh, or get a hold of me through the DMs or anything else, I actually have a whole bunch of free resources I'll, I'll sell you or not sell you, give to you. I'm not a coach. I'm not a mentor. I don't have anything to sell anybody. This is just a free resource. I will absolutely send you everything I have uh, if you'll use it, give or take. And all you got to do is just get a hold of me like that. People have done that for me in the past, and I want to do that for other people uh, now. So, all right, uh, let's get back to some graphs. I want to share some stuff with you. So, Holly, I hope that helped. But that's that's the that's what I think about all the time. <laughs> all right, so I'm going to do a little screen share here, folks. Now, what nobody talks about is consumer confidence. Right. And if you guys, if my um, if my volume drops out or anything else, you just let me know. Uh, da, 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 da. Do, 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 do. Give me one second here, folks. 
Uh, Steve Lockwood, everyone consider sharing this. We're all connected to others in the trades and trades. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for this, Steve. I really appreciate that. Friend of the show, Steve Lockwood, got to spend some time with him uh, recently. It was a lot of fun, man. So, okay. Let me get this back to where I screen share. I can do this in a way where I lose all my audio and I'm trying not to do that. So, all right. What you're seeing is a graph on my screen right now. This is the consumer confidence index. This is something that nobody talks about, but to me, if I had to have an economic indicator to point to and follow and get interested in that would actually affect my life, I think it would be this, right? I think it is this, which is even if the economy is good, even if unemployment is low, even if people, um, even if people are stable in their jobs and, and, and are optimistic about it, there is a thing called consumer confidence, which is my simple understanding of it is I'm just feeling less secure or I'm less optimistic about the future. So I'm just going to cut back a little bit. I'm going to save a little bit. I'm going to spend a little less. Uh, instead of taking that vacation when things are just ripping, ah, oh, roaring 20s, we're out there doing this. They may say, well, you know what, let's just hold. For some reason, it might be even be irrational. I just don't feel like spending money right now. And let's hold back. A couple things I've, re I've I found in my business that you could correlate with this, but I can't prove a causation is our average job size went down a little bit in quarter one, which means our average job size is typically about 6,500 bucks, 7,000 bucks. When you take all the revenue we make every year and divide by the amount of sales that we do, we saw the, 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 the amount on estimates stay about the same, but people just say yes to less, right? So if we had a $9,000 estimate, people would then say, instead of taking an 8,000, uh, of it, selecting 8,000 worth of things to do, they'll do 5,200, give or take. So we've seen the average job size bump down. Success ratio stay the same, but average job size down, which again, could be completely anecdotal, a complete blip, but it is a data point that you combine with other data points to start coming up with these theories like this. So uh, I will say this, what you're looking at is this graph is in 2014, it was pretty good. Between 2014 and 2019, consumer confidence was actually like pretty confident, nice steady rise. 2019, it started to waffle. And look at 2020, when the pandemic hit, it crashed. It absolutely crashed. It was crazy. Now, over 2021, it went back up. At probably mid-2021, it peaked. Why? Likely because the government was raining money on everybody. It felt great. You know what? My job is still here. I'm working from home. My kids are home. I don't feel like the earth is going to descend into a ball of flames. This pandemic feels like it's controllable. Also, the government just showered the entire human race with money, which was crazy to, to help do that. Now, after the money kind of runs out and we realize there's still a bunch of things that hamper us, but we still have to get on with life. Consumer confidence drops like a rock through 2020. And uh, between 2022 and 23, all-time low, it's actually starting to tick back up a little bit because I think we are seeing the end of some of that stuff. Uh, but consumer confidence was at an all-time low and then rising like that. So uh, just one graph. Now, if, I, if, I, if, if you said, Nick, if you had to pick one economic indicator that would actually affect you on a micro level, I might pick this because it's not unemployment. These people are still all employed. The economy is good. The stock market's good. But if they feel less confident, they'll spend less. And that could actually affect us, give or take. So I like I like focusing on stuff like that. All right. Let's look at. Give me one second here. Now, another uh, thing that I want to talk about, you guys are missing a wicked screen share over on Facebook. I'm actually going to share a whole bunch of years with a graph uh, graphs from my business about how leads come in weekly. This is actually proprietary stuff from my company. 
that we track, that we use to overlay data with feelings, stuff like that. So, all right, let's get into that. Let me share my other. We're going to hide this one. We're going to show this one. All right, let me up this a little bit for you guys, see if we can make this as big as possible. Boom. All right, leads per week. We track leads per week. This is the year 2020. All right, so you can tell soft start to the year. We had a, a, an early spring kind of rise right here, kind of steady throughout the summer, give or take. Huge spike later in the summer, give or take, when checks started to drop, things like that. But you can tell this is average. Yes, there's some ups and downs in there, but that is an absolutely normal sort of thing to happen. But you can tell leads were kind of low. We we're growing the business, not that many leads coming in, but you can tell it's kind of a flat year, give or take, with one big spike in the summer as we could get outside and people were looking at projects and things like that. And boy, TikTok, Instagram, you guys are missing some awesome graphs right here. So, all right. Now, what you can tell is we got super serious about marketing and other stuff because of that. And now what you can see is 2021 was a little more typical little more typical, uh, except for that huge spike at the end of the year. And I can tell you exactly why. It was because we started doing drywall. And I found out that there's a monster untapped market for residential repaint, interior drywall repairs and textures and popcorn stripping and things like that. And that's what most of the spike came from there. What you'll see in this is uh, throughout the year, pretty good start to the year, give or take. Uh, spike. We kind of get a uh, you know a February uh, March spike every time. But what's interesting when you look at the middle section right here, right where we're kind of in this section, the leads were actually descending steadily all through early summer. So last year, the most alarming data point that I have was we didn't have a spring rush, and I was super worried about it. Now we do have a, a little bit of a spring rush this year, but last year statistically, you looked at web traffic, you looked at social media analytics, and you looked at the leads. And literally in Minnesota, when it's May, uh, late April, May, and it spikes to 80 degrees, you see leads go through the roof. And I'm going to show you that happened this year, but it actually descended and we had no spring rush. We were all prepared. We cleared out our estimator schedule. We cleared out our queue. We were all ready to just be the crazy amount of leads and it never happened. That scared the living daylights out of us. It's not the way you want to start the busiest six months of your year. Now, always you see the second little spike here. Always what happens in Minnesota is typically the most typical year is spike in April and May because people just get out of their houses and stop hibernating and then spike in late August, September, because we haven't done any of these projects. Summer's coming to the end. We need it. So all of a sudden there's a huge uh, demand right there. Now let's go to 2022. 2022. Now, what you'll notice here is lots of stuff in the early quarter one and stuff like that. Now, but here's the deal. A lot of this stuff, like we had 78 leads in week 11. That was still the tail off from our um, drywall marketing. So you have to overlay the uh, story of this on there. If uh, we found a huge untapped market, we found so much demand in that market. It was actually problematic to our company because it was monopolizing our estimators time. Half the estimates they were doing were drywall repairs and things like that when we really needed more painting estimates. So what we did was actually shut that off. And then what you can see is throughout the, all right, come on. I'm going to try to get the whole graph in here. Come on now. Yeah, so what you can actually see then is leads tailed off through the end of the year as well too. So we had our uh, we had our spring right there, give or take. It was actually kind of steady. And with marketing, I kind of evened it out a little bit. But the most alarming thing was pretty low leads when you come down here in um, uh, towards quarter four, give or take. And that's even while we ramp up a huge marketing effort like that. So, and we'll get to your guys' questions here. Now, what are we seeing for 2023 so far? 
started off a little soft, give or take, but we had some nice leads come in. Uh, and then come about February, we really took it in the shorts on leads. Like when you look at the graph of leads, February is super soft. January is okay. People are done with the holidays. It kind of picks up. February, we actually took a huge dip, but then you can see uh, March and now April going way back up. And uh, what's really interesting, we had, all right, come on, give me the, there we go, 75 leads. Uh, this was about a week ago, give or take. Uh, I can tell you exactly why that is because we overlay graphs of the weather too. Guess what happened in Minnesota that week? It was 82, 83 degrees. So people got out of their houses and they called us and 75 people went to our website or called us uh, looking for leads that week. So, but what's more typical is kind of this, which is the 60 and then we'll be adding in the next couple of weeks here. Uh, but you can see very strong leads are, we're ripping on the marketing and uh, we actually have a spring rush right now. So when we're going between, you know, 75 and 60 leads per week, um, uh, anything over about 55 for us uh, and a little spike, I would consider the spring rush. And we're getting that right now. But we've also gotten more sophisticated with our marketing every year, too. So this isn't a completely organic scale like this, but it is something I wanted to share with you guys, because if you can say, wow, quarter one is hurting right now. And, and I will share this economic indicator with you. We were actually behind in revenue quarter over quarter for the first time in 15 years this time. We caught it in time. We increased marketing. We made it up in sales. We'll have to make it up in production this next quarter. But it was interesting. We actually started off a little bit soft on revenue. And um, I talked to about 30 other painting contractors from all around the U.S. And about 26, 27 of them said the same thing, which is, not as many leads, not as much revenue in quarter one, but it's picking up right now. So again, that could be consumer confidence. And I, the reason I ask other painters that stuff is because I'm hyper-local, things like that. And again, I can affect my business more than any economic trends. But when you hear that from 26 out of 30 other painting contractors, you're like, okay, might be something to it. I'm not going to use it as an excuse, but it is something to it. Okay. So those are the things that I like to do with my free time. And uh, my company works Monday through Thursday. Uh, I will and my leadership team work part of a Friday. And when I work Fridays, um, I do stuff like this. I start looking at these graphs and overlaying macro feelings with macro data and seeing what I can come up with. So, all right. I love doing that stuff, though. All right. We'll hide that. Get that back on here. We'll see if we got any last questions on all this stuff. Thank you guys for watching. It's a beautiful day. Andrade, how are you, my friend? Bon dia from down in Brazil. Ah, Paint Life 607, how much should the typical new hire be paid per hour? That really depends, right? So for people, this is opinion of mine. I look at market rates a lot um, and there's a range. Um, you can make a great economic argument that for somebody with a bad work history, no education and no experience, you should only pay them 15 to $20 an hour, 15 to $18 an hour. The problem is there's many other opportunities for them. So if you actually want some decent human beings, you're going to have to pay them more. Uh, we've been we've been starting people at 18, but that's moving up now. I think this next round will probably start them at more. I believe now that um, our companies can support it, but we have to be really careful about people currently making whatever in our company and we're adjust those wages as we need. But I think right now that uh, at least in my area, this is going to be completely different in Boston and other things up and down. But in the upper Midwest, if you want to hire somebody that doesn't have any experience you're to attract even the most minimally viable decent human being you're probably gonna have to go 20 20 bucks or more give or take uh for somebody with experience here's the problem i don't know how to quantify this experience and they can either and uh, i've been uh bamboozled more times than i've been not by people who say they're painters so typically here's my strategy we talked a lot about this at these master's classes this week too which is 
hey, you come to my company and you want to make 30 bucks an hour because you say you're really good at painting. And I will say, well, I can't give that to you right away because there's other people who have been with me for years that make 30. And it would be very disrespectful for them to then put in the time and become masters at this and do that. It creates a culture problem. You might be worth 30. You might be worth 40. The problem is compared to all the other people in my company, we're going to have to be very respectful of that. So here's what I would, here's my strategy. Listen, painter, you come in, you want 30. How about this? How about in the course of a year, we start you at 28 and we move you to 32 based on four times a year of sitting down and looking at your performance and then giving you a raises. So I'm going to start you a little lower than what you want because I have to be respectful of my other people, but I will move you past what you asked for. But you have to be here and invest the time and do the work. We have to know that you're trustworthy and that you take care of our clients and take care of our other people. Uh, I think you can... I think you know the response that I typically get, which is kiss my ass. I'll give you one week and I want top dollar. Otherwise, I'm not staying. And I will say, peace be on to you. <laughs> if you're not willing to invest more than a week in my company with my people, that's crazy. I'm offering you somewhere between in six months, I'll bring you up to the amount of money you want. And in a year, I'll move you past. I'll give you four raises this year. If that isn't interesting to you and you're not willing to do this, you weren't willing to put in 10 years with me at all. You're just shopping based on price. Now, there is something to be said about that. Employment is mobile. I don't blame this person. It doesn't mean they're a bad person. But for what we're doing for my company, we're looking for a long-term relationship and we want to surround people with who we like. And guess what? If you're going to skip jobs for 50 cents an hour, give her that, give or take, you're going to skip my job for somebody else when they offer you another dollar an hour. So um, and not many people take into account the full compensation plan of a four-day work week, health insurance, retirement, PTO, a support team, people to actually help you instead of just a ragtag company like that. The problem is dollar per hour is the thing or wage per hour is the thing that we can touch. And that's what we hyper-focus on. And that just is what it is. So I will tell you this, you can actually look up, I have a document right here, right track, uh, the average wages for estimators, project managers, office coordinators, and painters. The average wage for somebody with less than a year and a half of painting experience in Minnesota is $20 an hour. And I can tell you this, everybody who works in my company uh, who has over a year or two of experience makes, makes way more than that, right? Because it's just the market. Um, the one thing we also have to uh, uh, be... Um, be aware of is that the market dictates that there's wildness out there, right? In Minnesota, we got about five or six months to do all the exterior work, the landscaping and things like that. So in my com in my economy here, landscapers will offer people with a horrible resume, no experience, no education, 30, 35 bucks an hour to come do landscaping in the summer. And people are like, well, Nick, if you're only going to offer me 25 or even 30, why I'm going to go to this landscaper, make 35 bucks an hour. And I'll be like, peace be on to you because you're going to work a hundred hours a week. A good portion of that probably won't be overtime because they'll find a way around that. You're going to be digging a hole. You'll be screamed at. Um, you'll be working all weekends. You'll be working evenings. Uh, if Thursday and Friday are rain days, guess what? You're working Saturday and Sunday, not in my company. And also come October, November, you're just going to get laid off and they'll probably not call you back the next year. They're going to use you up, break your back and spit you out. Now, there are good landscapers in my area that will take care of you and stuff, but it's hyper seasonal. So when you make 35 bucks an hour for six months, and then you go on unemployment, you're making nine bucks an hour. That does not equal 35. That equals 22. My company will employ you all year round, 40 hours a week, give or take, um, unlimited overtime, four-day work week, PTO, health insurance, and you'll get coaching and mentoring and all that other stuff. Now, it is what it is. We have people leave all the time because of that sort of thing. It's irrational. 
It's not taking a long view, but I'm not going to call them bad people because I assume they're rational consumers and they'll do what's best for them and their families. And just kind of is what it is. Um, long way around saying inexperienced or people with no experience, 18 to 20 to start, but you got to rapidly move them through the pay scale to keep them. People with experience want 25 to 30 bucks an hour. I would urge you to take the strategy of testing them out before you just open your wallet because you can never go back, but you can always go forward in their pay. And that's the sort of thing that I would be interested in. Um, if I was a professional and let's say I was a professional estimator, uh, excuse me, that's not a good thing because they have a bonus system. If I was a professional master craftsperson, I would be looking for a long-term relationship because selling a house, selling a car, changing jobs, there's a transaction cost and a churn cost associated with that. That's very disruptive, right? We're just assuming we can go from job to job. And in this economy, you kind of can. Uh, labor is in high demand, but it's not always going to be that way. So it's better to have a long-term relationship, stick with something, get good at it, and you'll make way more money over the long run instead of every nine months job hopping. But that's just kind of, listen, I'm a realist. I'm in this. There's lots of people that come. There's lots of people that go. Peace be on to them. I'm going to do the best I can, offer the best opportunities, and the people who share my core values and take a little longer view than six months will be here. And those are the people I really, really like. So Danilo Bajia, my friend, good morning from Brazil. All right, everybody. I think that's going to be about it here. Da, 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 da. Yeah. So Paint Life 607. Yeah, I have people telling me I'm not getting out of bed for less than $30 an hour. And I will then say, why are you looking for a job? Why are you unemployed if that's the case? So it is what it is. Now, I have a lot of love and respect for all these master crafts people out there. There's not enough professional businesses to employ them. So that's one of those like as a professional employer who takes care of their people, I'm at a disadvantage because nine out of 10 painting companies are going to use a person up, spit them out, never review them, never give them a pay raise, overwork them, underpay, underappreciate. And then when they come to me, they treat me like that bad employer. I get it, right? Because statistically, uh, you have nothing to believe until you get into my company and experience this, that I'm a bad employer like them. And it just kind of is what it is, folks. So, um, all right, everybody, resources in here for you. If you want a master's class in your area, I have a link there for an email address for you. Uh, thank you for doing the um, market uh, the market indicators with me today. Uh, the big takeaway that I want you guys to have is, um, uh, okay, Northridge Painting, one more question here. Um, when you discuss job costing, you said that your goal is 45% gross profit. Do you feel all paint companies should reach that goal, even if they are less production-based and more fine-finished? I would argue that yours should be higher, the higher quality you are, right? So if I, if, if I, for a large professional company with lots of moving pieces, I want to keep material to 15%, labor to 40%. In total, that gives you a gross profit of 45%. That leaves you um, 45% of all your revenue to pay for overhead and then profit. I would like out of that 45% gross profit left over, um, the revenue left over, 30% of that will go to overhead and 15% to true net profit of a company. That's always the goals, right? Now, here's the deal. If I went back down to a single owner operator as a master craftsman, my prices would go through the roof because I don't need a lot of work, right? I would actually want my gross profit to be way higher. The smaller the company, that number should grow because material, material actually becomes a greater portion of your revenue, but your labor becomes so much less. So I would argue if you're doing insanely high-end finishes, let's say that you are a Zach Kenny style master craftsperson, but you're only a single owner operator, I might want gross profit to be 70%, give or take, because you're not using that many materials to do a gloss door. You're spending a lot of time. You're charging a ton of money for it. So lots of economic arguments there. And honestly, 
Northridge, I would love to have this discussion with you. You, you can email me, nick at nickslavic.com anytime, and we can compare those numbers because based on a solo operator versus a million dollar company with 10 painters versus a $3 million company with a bunch of people, those numbers are, those benchmarks are going to be a little bit different, but I like the way you think there, right there. Mr. Hall, how are you? Andy, estimator Andy's clocking in this morning. Uh, good morning from Vancouver. Hello, how are you? Uh, let's see here. Scott Wolf, on average, what percentage of leads do you land as a job? Does it vary seasonally? Yes, 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 yes. Industry average is 50%. In my company last year, estimator Andy and estimator Ian, and then me a little bit, we averaged 47%. This year, I think we're actually a little low. Estimator Andy, if you're watching on Instagram, if you know our running total of uh, success ratio right now, chime in. Oh, there he is. Andy's on Facebook too. Andy, um, if you don't mind sharing um, uh, success ratios right now, my gut says, I don't know the aggregate, but I know that our success ratio is down slightly, um, but we're still right in there, probably in the pocket between 40 and 50%, give or take. So, But Andy, estimator Andy's watching, so he might be able to chime in there. So, uh, da, 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 da. Uh, paint finisher, you have a product you want to share with painters, nick at nickslavic.com is my email address and you can uh, send me some more information, give or take. So, all right, everybody, uh, Andy will be clocking in with the success ratio if he's willing later on. Uh, but anyway, um, thank you all for watching. I appreciate all the economic indicator talk like this. Thank you everybody on TikTok. Thank you everybody on Instagram and thank you everybody on Facebook. If you guys actually want to see the graphs that I shared of consumer confidence and leads from my business, my son is putting his head through my war room window right now, staring at me. He's got a squirt bottle on his hand. What are you doing? We're playing squirt tag with Adam and Alma. Good. I thought you were up to something no good. This sounds innocent. I'm, I'm a fan of that. So, all right. Uh, thank you everybody for watching. Uh, it is a beautiful sunny day. I'll albeit chilly. We're going to go to a soccer game. We're going to take the dog out. We're going to explore. I've had a long week away from my family and my farm, and we're going to just nestle in and get this done this weekend. So, all right, everybody, thank you for watching. I appreciate you all very much. Kindest thing you can do for this show is to share it. And I will make a huge ask, which is join me in the PCA, the Painting Contractors Association. Join me in taking the business training there. Let's be those professionals, folks. I love that the talk is all about these economic indicators, it's all about the success ratio and the gross profits and things like this. I will tell you guys, I will tell you guys, we are, this is not happening five years ago. We are not, we were not doing this five years ago. Oh my God. From TikTok, Pontiac Jack, we are getting ready to start a small bridge in Mogadishu. Well, holy cow, we got painters from all over the place here. So, all right, everybody, thank you for your interaction today. Uh, and we will see you guys next week. Painted podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.